3: Get a gun. Hi everybody and welcome to episode 197 for Slam Fire Radio. Today is March 10th, 2017. I'm one of your hosts, the Queen of Maple Seed Kelly.
2: Oh yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm the I'm the sickly one. I might not make it. Brian, you can have the STI if I don't make it, I promise. Everything else goes to muffin.
3: Hey. Okay. Gee, when
2: is Ken's turn? When did we uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, t- typical, uh no not uh start with your name you can all uh, your way through the show later like it's an episode of modern rifleman radio uh
4: well, i only do that on the other shows oh. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> my name is ken and i am the overlord yay
0: <laughs> there we go and i'm um, adriel the hunting gear guy i'm sorry i thought i was going to be calm <laughs> <laughs> i've got some residual anger built up from that last email Well, you'd you'd think the cold would slow you down, but it doesn't. It just makes you (laughs) madder. It does.
3: And cold.
2: Come on. The the phlegm and the hate are flowing through me simultaneously.
3: Oh, that's not the picture I want to... Yeah, no. (laughs) Okay. Trevor, what did we do in guns this week?
2: Not much because I'm sick, but Mm -hmm. um, I, I went to see Filthy to pick up my M1 carbine. This was quite an adventure. So I had to do... Multiple stops along the way to pick up my car. I mean, one of them included picking up my mother in law, which went surprisingly well. Um, so the first stop was, and I got a shout out for this guy and his father at the end of the show. Um, his name is Paul Power on Facebook. He's a moderator on our CCFR page and maybe a mod over at the uh, CGN too as well. Anyways, guy I've known for a long time. He's a good guy. He's a gunny, and his dad is a gunny, and his, ga- his dad has a passion for M1 carbines. So um, as soon as I figured out that I was buying an M1 carbine, I contacted these guys to see if they had any any reloading equipment or components, and I was also looking for a wooden handguard because the one that I got is a plain field post war production. And it's still a pretty authentic M1 carbine because the early playing fields were actually made with surplus M1 carbine GI parts, USGI parts. And um, one thing that they did, though, is they put on that metal handguard that's black with all the holes drilled you know, in it.
4: Yeah, I know yeah. which one you're talking about.
2: Yeah, I don't. I, it looked cool, but I wanted my M1 carbine to look, you know, uh, korea yeah, I want it to look like the like late World War Two or Korea era because I have the flip safety, not the push button safety, so it's a later model. Okay. Anyway, so he's like, Yeah, man, uh I've got a three die set that you can that you can buy, three hundred pieces of once fired carbine brass that you can buy, and wow. uh a wooden handguard that you can buy. And he gave it all to me for eighty dollars. Wow. <laughs> I was pricing dies. dyes. I wouldn't have been able to get a set of even Lee. I couldn't get a set of Lee dies here for under 100 bucks after tax and shipping. So I was like, <clears throat> 80 bucks is great, plus all the other stuff. And then I get down there, and he gives me a mag pouch that goes in your belt, like a GI style, World War 2 style uh, mag pouch that goes in your awesome. belt. Awesome. Yeah. So then I stop in the machine. So that was a good deal. Then in the Miramichi, I got kind of ripped off by this sneaky old man, the bastard that he was. Uh, he tells me, "Yeah, I've got 70 rounds of factory M1 carbine ammo, 75 rounds of 357 Magnum ammo, 25 rounds of 38 Special, and 50 pieces of once-fired 357 Magnum brass." I want 120 bucks for it all. Great, no problem. I have this in writing. He hands me the box. I look at it real quick. Close it, give them the cash, get back in the car. When I get the filthies, it's not seventy five rounds of three fifty seven magnum and twenty five thirty eight special. The old bugger thinks I'm dyslexic or he's dyslexic. It was the other way around. It was twenty five uh. rounds of three fifty seven magnum and seventy five rounds of thirty eight special. Uh. Some of the th- actually it was more like twenty five rounds of uh, thirty eight special, and the rest was plus p. So anyway, whatever. Uh. Um, then uh, we pick up the gun. And we get back to, uh, we go meet Chris for breakfast. I get the gun. He's got a cold. I think I caught it from him. I brought, home, I brought home his cold. Anyway, then we go visit Filthy's buddy, Mike. Mike is uh, a Millserp fiend. He actually has an Enfield cabinet. One of his gun cabinets <laughs> is the- Is an
3: actual Enfield cabinet.
2: Yep. It's, there's nothing in there but Lee Enfields. A couple <laughs> different types of long branches, some SMLEs, just- Oh, man, and he's been going nuts on the Millsurp stuff since Christmas. And the last time I saw him was before Christmas. So he's got he's got Mausers. He's got so many different kinds. Of, like, I'm not into Mausers yet, so I haven't learned about them. But he's got um, Mosin-Nagant, and he's got at least one Finnish Mosin-Nagant. So... For people that know about Mosin Nagants, there's you know there's the 9130, the Russian one, and the Russians made the M44 carbine version with the attached bayonet that folds all the time. And then there's some Russian Mosin Nagants that have a hex receiver, and then the round one. And then there's a the sniper version. Well, the Finns made a Mosin Nagant, and it's like, oh, it's like comparing a Norinco... SKS to a Yugoslavian SKS. I can't believe I just made that analogy. But if you're a military <laughs> person, you'll get... It. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's hard to believe that it's the same, it's the same rifle. I mean, they just...
4: They're uh, the Cadillac.
2: They are. If there is such a thing as a Cadillac of Mosins, they're certainly it. I mean, the sights are better. The trigger is better. The bolt is better. The action is better. Everything is better. So he's got one of those, which really impressed me. And um, he has two uh, M1 carbines. So we open up my M1 carbine, and inside the box is my M1 carbine, uh-huh. a paratrooper stock, which I didn't think I was going to get out of the house alive with. Mike was Mike was after it hard. A um, hundred to one hundred and fifty pieces of primed thirty carbine brass, which I was not expecting, and a looks to be never used four die set. Of M1 carbine dies, oh, so nice. I stopped in Bathurst for dies for nothing. I got a three die set from that guy, and he said, "Yes, this die seats and crimps, but it doesn't do a very good job. So you're going to want to pick up the crimp die." So then a couple hours later, I'm in Bathurst. There we go. It's the next day. I'm in. Uh, sorry, Bathurst on Friday. The next day, Saturday morning, I open up my gun, and there's a set of dies in there, and it's the four die set, which has the factory crimp die. Right. So yeah. awesome, yeah. So I take one look at the paratrooper stock. And uh, I tried the the handguard that I picked up in Bathurst, and it fit. Yeah. So Mike wants my paratrooper stock, and I'm like, no way, because like I paid 800 bucks for this rifle, and I got two stocks, and the brass, and the dies, and a rifle case, and a trigger lock for 800 bucks. I thought it was a pretty good deal. And then we go to the Fredericton gun shop, and they have a paratrooper stock over there on sale for 600. So yeah. If the paratrooper stock is worth $600, I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to buy another M1 carbine to put in the paratrooper stock. So Uh that's going to be one of my next guns. Um, uh, Mike hooked me up with the mag holder that goes on the stock. So if you see a lot of pictures of M1 carbines in old World War II photos or Korea photos, uh, there's a mag pouch right on the stock with two 15 round mags in there. So, uh, the gun came with one of the 30 round mags, one of the 15 round mags, and then filthy filthy, filthy gives me a hundred pieces of brand new, like it's still in the bag. The bag is sealed, a factory sealed bag, 100 pieces of 30 M1 carbine brass. I'm like, Phil, you can't give me this. He's like, yeah, man. He says, uh, I, I, I bought, you know, I have three bags. Take one. All right. Aww. Great. Yeah. So I'll give that back to him in ammo at some point or something, you know? Yeah. Um,
3: I'm still waiting for my ammo. Yeah, Just I'm saying. still <laughs> waiting
2: for my stock. Just saying. I got ball legs here. Hey,
3: Just we saying. got an announcement to make.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um, What else happened there? Oh, so Mike pulls out these two bayonets. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's got a uh, an original, authentic, m one carbine bayonet. And he's got a uh, reproduction.
1: Uh-huh.
2: One carbine bayonet. And Filthy looks at them and goes... Yeah, but Mike, neither one of your ammo carbines has the bayonet lug on them. He's like, what? <laughs> so sure enough, neither one of his, because uh, they put the bayonet lugs on the, on the later models, right? So anyway, I ended up buying one of the bayonets from him. He sold me the uh, reproduction bayonet and the mag pouch for the stock. So that was awesome. And I got to leave with my um, paratrooper stock. So yeah. pretty, pretty excited about that. And then <clears throat> the next day, um, not the next day, was it that Saturday? Fred was giving me a hard time about oh you're you're buying all these Milserps. Do you want a Mosin? I'm like stop it, Fred. I don't want a Mosin. Talk sense anyway. I bought a Mosin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fred. Fred brought over a a 9130 with the bayonet, all matching numbers. Well, it's a refurb, so they yeah. force match the numbers after they refurbish them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's clean, 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 clean. The bore is not pretty, but I think it's still going to be. A, you know, it's definitely it's still shootable.
3: Still shootable.
2: It's still, yeah, I I envision something like four inches at a hundred, maybe if I'm lucky, but that's fine, whatever. Do you want some uh, stripper clips for it? I do. All right. Mm. I mean, yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> so, um, okay, moving on. Uh, I upgraded my lead turret press. Some of the parts started to come in, so I so I so uh, I reassembled it using the four-die tool head. It, okay. it has, now has the primer feeding system hooked up and replaced the RAM. So now you prime on it the way you prime on the single stage press and um, it auto indexes, which is working. Okay. There's a mod out there that you can do to improve the reliability of the rotation. Um, I may take the auto indexing rod off altogether and just manually index it because it's not going to be like we're talking There will be a speed. I will save time by manual indexing because I will lose time when it doesn't index correctly and I have to readjust the rod. Mm -hmm. So it works, but it's not the best design in the world. So anyway, um, so that's now going to be set up with a tool head with a powder measure on it for 45 ACP, 44 Magnum and 30 carbine. And I've designed my tape, my reloading bench that uh, the presses are attached to wooden plates that bolt directly to the press to the bench. So depending on which press I'm using, I just bolt it to the. There's four bolts that come up through the bottom of the of the workbench, and I just some thumb screws and uh, quickly attach the new press in, in place. Um, next, my Boyd's SS Evolution stock arrived for my five nine seven. Uh, this is the stock that I always wanted until I got it. Really sad. I'm disappointed. Uh, it's, I mean, it's very well made. I overpaid big time. Uh, by the time it got here, it was over $200, and then they nailed me for $36 at the door of the bastards. I get the gun put together, and the r- length of pull between the grip so it's it's like a basic, it's all wood but it basically has a pistol grip built into it and that pistol grip is too far behind the trigger guard so i really got to reach with my index finger it actually i feel like i've got a more comfortable trigger pull if i put my index finger on the frame and press the trigger with my middle finger that's how far away it is from the back of the trigger guard to the grip also they've beveled the sides to uh, contour to make it comfortable to for you to place your finger inside the trigger guard, but it's not beveled or contoured enough for my hobbit hands. So I'm definitely not going to use this for a uh, maple seed because I can see me pulling shots because of poor trigger placement because I just can't reach the freaking trigger. How's so, the uh,
0: how's the size of your grip for you? Because for me, um, it was it was too small. Like I couldn't get my whole hand in there and uh, and keep it in there. Yeah, no,
2: for me, it's fine because, again, my, I don't have big hands for a, for a
0: 200-pound guy. <laughs> 200, I
2: wish I was only 200. Anyway, for a, for a six-foot-tall guy, I got small hands and small feet. And, um, <laughs> Kelly, stop it. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: I know what you're thinking. Uh, <laughs> anyway, haven't gone. Uh, well, you know what they say about a man with small hands and small feet, right?
3: He wears small gloves and small shoes, anyways. That, yes, go that's ahead. exactly
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. So, anyway, um,. No, the the size of the grip, Adriel, is fine. But the length of pull is a little uncomfortable for me. So, Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, Mark Drew come over, and we loaded up um, some 9mm. Well, we, he, I, I <laughs> went downstairs, coughed and hacked, and stuck my head on the reloading bench. At one time, he actually asked me if I was okay. So he did something. He's coming back tomorrow to finish up, so I'll be in better shape. And then I sold my uh, Remington five nine seven VTR chassis on CGN, but not before two people backed out. One of them resulted in negative feedback. Now, the other guy, he at least left himself a way out. He said, I'll take it provided the cost of shipping isn't ridiculous. So at that point, no matter what I say, he can come back and say, No, that's ridiculous, right? He's, he's mm-hmm, worded right. it in such a way. He's got a way out. And nah, that's fine. I respect that. You know, you put conditions on a sale once in a while. And so, but that's not why he backed out. He tells me, yeah, I did some research on the VTR chassis, and it turns out that it's not compatible with the 20 MOA rail I have on my rifle. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's furniture that wraps around the outside of the uh, of the receiver. Yeah, it doesn't it go anywhere yeah. near your 20 MOA rail that you have on your on your 22 Remington uh, rifle, there, pal. I didn't even respond because I just went of went off on them. Hmm. The, I did some research, and it turns out the the VTR chassis is not compatible with my twenty MOA rail. Oh, oh, brother. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Uh, and then I went to the gunsmith today to uh, drop off. All
3: right. Off. You need. You have. We're going to have to have an intervention.
4: Like. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little lake, Kelly. <laughs>
3: like you're there. You're. He's your new best friend, isn't
2: he? He's my dealer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> In this case, I was actually dropping off uh, a gun for somebody else that he's going to restore.
3: Oh, God. Okay.
2: But while I was there, <laughs> I made two mistakes. One, I asked him what the balance owing was on all the work that he's doing for me. You know, it's really easy to rack up $838. Oh
3: my God. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That's a gun. It is
2: a gun. Mm-hmm. And the second mistake I made was uh, he's got a Tavor X95 in stock. So, first impressions of the Tavor X95, it seems to be lighter than the original Tavor. I don't like the backup sights. They seem to have changed the rear one compared to the previous. um, I may be wrong. I think the rear sight is different from the original Tavor. The Tavor has these backup sights that are actually built into the gun and fold flush down inside the rail. You can mount your, you can mount other backup sites or optics right on top and they will not interfere with anything. It's pretty cool, cool, cool design. The trigger is much, much better than the stock Tavor's that I have played with. And I've played with a Tavor that has a Geisley in it. And, uh, I got to tell you the, this new, and for a bullpup, it's outstanding and it's better than a lot of stock ARs right out of the box. um, and he he wants uh, three grand all in, and is more than willing to do layaway for me.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. So yeah. If okay,
0: it's yeah. Don't say X ninety five. Is was it uh, like a tan one or something like that? I thought they all had oh, like the same pricing. No, it's black. Why? What are you seeing for pricing? I th- well, when they were first coming in, the pre order was twenty six hundred.
2: Well, this is this is three thousand tax in. If you throw fifteen percent tax on twenty six hundred.
0: Oh, I forget you're from a communist province where they just tax the heck out of you for no particular yeah. reason. Yeah, yeah. Okay. well, no, the reason is because we're dumb, we don't have oil. <laughs> well, we're dumb and we have oil. <laughs> so yeah. I guess that's what we've got.
2: He's got another gun here. I don't know if you guys heard of it before. It's, it's the standard manufacturer DP-12. And this thing is like the kel KSG on steroids. Not only does it have two magazine tubes that hold seven rounds of two and 3 quarter shotgun shells each, it has two barrels. So every time you pump it, you get two shots. So it's like bang, bang, pump, bang, bang. Yeah, those, uh, those look really neat. They do look neat, but I learned my lesson with guns that look neat. If it's too far away from... The norm or the standard, you're probably asking for problems, right? And uh-huh. this is kinda like that. It's like a Keltec, a lot of plastic, because there's a lot of weight in this thing. You've got two barrels, two magazine tubes, so it's kind of heavy. So pretty much everything else on it's made out of plastic. And uh, gimmicky. I'm done with gimmicky guns, right? Like the Keltec Tub 2000 that folds up, and the Su16 that folds up, and the. Uh, the uh, KSG, where if you put a vertical grip on, you blow your hand off, you know, and I'm, I'm over guns like that. The, the Tavor is about as exotic as I'll ever go. So, and then the
4: Tavor's been fielded.
2: Yes, it has. Exactly. Right. This is something that's been issued to a pretty uh, serious military. Uh-huh. So you can trust that there's there's some been some decent R&D and, and tested in the field, proven in the field, battle tested, battle proven, uh-huh. So, uh, and then finally today, I sent off my application for my ATT for the Spring Bang match in, Hel- in Halifax. This is put on by the uh, AMA club down there. Uh, We're the same club that hosted the Nationals this summer. They do a two door indoor um, level two Ipsic match at the end of March every year called Spring Bang. Two day event. You shoot the afternoon one day, the morning the next day. So, Muffin and I will go down and hang out with Captain Andy and the giant Steven and see some of our Nova Scotia ipsic kin. And
0: uh, that's all I have to say about that. What about you, Adriel? (laughs)
3: That's all I have to say about that. Okay.
0: (laughs) Oh, not a heck of a lot. Um, We've got a three gun match coming up this weekend here. So uh, last weekend we were out um, organizing things. Uh, Some, some of the trades guys that are also part of our club, uh, made some shelves in one of our sea cans so that we could store all the targetry. Did have a heck of a jog. I mean, those guys, those guys work really hard, and <laughs> like they, they did a, a, a ton of work. Uh, we repaired a bunch of bases. Basically, all the targetry that was like taken out of commission over the last year, uh, we, you know, reconditioned everything so that it's all ready to ready to roll this year. Um, showed everyone how the uh, X metal targets worked. So that's all uh, taken care of. Uh, kind of related to guns. I'm, 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 working on, uh, uh, some web stuff for, uh, for our three gun league. Um, and unrelated to guns, I'm going to sign up for soccer coaching this afternoon. So <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of guns, I'm, I'm just mostly just gearing up for three gun again and, uh, and hoping that, that, uh, it's not too cold this weekend. Cause it looks like it, it was forecast to be minus 20, but I think it's only going to be minus 16. So Warm. <laughs> Warm. yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not ideal. I, I don't like like uh, the, the cold itself isn't bad. I don't like shooting with like with big clothes on because yeah. all my stuff is belt worn. And if I wear like a, like a big jacket or even like a sweater or something like that, it just gets harder to grab mags and that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's going to be a downside, but I eh, can't wait to get into it again.
3: Mm. Okay. Can yeah. I ask you a question about, go, are you going to go down to any of the three gun matches down in the States this year?
0: Uh, no, I think I'm going to hit the, there's supposed to be one in Saskatchewan that's really good. Uh, there's supposed to be uh, one uh, up North in near Grand Prairie. That's supposed to be good. So I think, um, I think what I might do is just like, take it, take baby steps here, go from crawl, walk, run, so we'll do the uh, my local matches, and then hopefully some of the uh, some of the bigger ones that the are bigger ones, yeah. That in the provinces next to us, kind of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then yeah, maybe maybe uh, next year we'll uh, we'll head down to the states for us. Um, Edmonton's like one of the most northernly <laughs> cities. That's like right around a million people, and mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 a it's pretty big drive to uh, to get down to the states. Ah, pretty big. You guys have driven further to go to Ipsic matches. Yeah, oh, oh. Kelly drove to Texas.
3: <laughs> yeah, for the barbecue.
0: Oh,
2: you know, yeah. everything's a contest, and we're not winning. <laughs> Kelly is the champion. <laughs> yeah, no. Adrian. Um, who was the? Did you see the email? Somebody that you shoot three gun with that emailed the show last week after I was complaining about chest
0: rigs. Yeah, it's. I yes. I, I put it down below. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> we'll yeah. All right. we well we'll, we'll we'll get to it then. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that's about it for me. Uh, Kelly, what were you up to?
3: I didn't. I. Pulled a Matthew. I didn't do any shooting whatsoever.
2: So you that's so funny. It used to be I pulled the Mike, <laughs> Mike, Mike, the original host of Canadian Canadian Reload Radio. We used to give him such a hard time week after week. He didn't do anything. Now it's Matthew. Matthew's the new Mike.
3: Yeah. Well, Matthew's out flying. Yeah. So oh yeah, that's it. We did. Matthew's not on tonight, everybody. Yeah, we uh. fired
2: him, and now we have the <laughs> Overlord.
3: Yeah, got the overlord. So, Kevin uh,
2: but, and Brian are on the owner for Modern Rifleman Radio Ken's with us now.
3: Yeah. He's he's uh
4: come to the dark side.
3: Mm.
2: Mm, he talks about as much on this show as he does on that show.
4: But, <laughs> but I can't dethrone the queen. Nope. I can't so I how can I be the overlord? Hmm. Hmm. We'll talk.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the announcements that we wanted to make was the fact that Trevor's Magpul stock is now in stock, and it's paid for, and it's, coming, it's being shipped out this weekend. So, all his hair can start growing back now.
2: Awesome. <laughs> I actually, on <laughs> their website, you know on their website you can subscribe to get notification when an item comes back? Yeah, just, I know. Yeah, I subscribed for that, and something else, I forget what the other thing was, but I wasn't able to buy it when I got the email. And I was like, why did I get the Magpul notification? So... Anyway, we'll get a picture of my legs once the uh, stock arrives. I'll lay the stock.
3: (laughs) Right beside it.
2: These two things are related. I promise.
3: (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Magpul can use it for uh, marketing. Magpul make your hair grow back. Holy crap! I'm going to wear it on my head.
3: That's going to (laughs) be.
2: I'm going to rub my stock on my head every night from now on. (laughs) Let
0: let me know if that works.
3: (laughs) All right. Um, one of yeah, so. Right, do you think you're going to probably use that for the maple seed now?
2: Yes. Yeah. Definitely now. And also, really I, really, Go ahead. I really wasn't crazy about drilling into that $200 stock to put in some swivel studs. Yeah. I mean, I would have, but I wanted to get like some kind of template to make sure they went in the right spot exactly. I've got the right tools and everything, but I still didn't want to drill holes in it.
3: Well, you can adjust the length of pull. You can... Adjust the comb on this. You can, yeah. yeah. There's all kinds of different spots that you can put your silver. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like Lego for, but for men.
2: Yeah, right. for 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 adults. Yeah. Because for adults. you have a magical stock too, and I know you're not a man, so. I have one too. That will you. <laughs> <laughs> she said for men. I'm saying it's for it's for it's for shooters.
3: Yeah. Um. Yes, it's for shooters for men and women.
2: Or adults. It's adults. Lego for. Adults, there you
3: go. Oh, it can be for kids too because you can get the shorter length of pull on it too.
2: Did you? Yeah, horse is dead. We're beating it now. Um, did you put the adjust the higher cheek comb on your magpul stock for your ten twenty two to get better cheek weld? I, with your I did.
3: So I traded it out and I put a medium one in there because my scope rings are medium, I believe. Yeah, they they're medium. 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 Yeah. I didn't know
2: they made a medium. I, think I thought it was just I think two sizes. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've yeah. got a, I've got a not low. I don't know what it is, if it's medium or high, but anyway, it's ready to go on. Mm-hmm. So then.
3: yeah, it's the medium, it's the medium cheek risers, or yeah, that are in it. So the other thing that happened today, and it was kind of like blew me and everybody else away, was Project Maple Seed. We, uh, we launched a limited edition founder membership. Uh, Package. Uh, It was launched at nine o'clock this morning, and by two p.m., it was totally sold out. What we did was we uh, we came up with 150 uh, um, their their patches, and uh, we we correspond that with the fact that it's Canada's 150th birthday this year. And Maple Seed is all about our heritage and gun usage, and and teaching people. Right. Burn it down the White House. Yeah, That'll exactly. be discussed, right? Yeah, that's a big one. Okay. Um But, yeah, so we thought, what a great way to launch a fundraiser so that we can seed our our funds. See, seed. <sighs> Anyways. So funny. <laughs> yeah. So seed or get some funds so that we can, like, we've been buying uh, loaner rifles and we've been... Um, having to incorporate now now we're looking at doing youth shoots and and subsidizing that as well so to do that we need some money and uh, to drive that we we thought we would do a um, special membership and yeah so in just a couple of hours it sold out totally so we were we were amazed but we were humbled and and yeah it was it was amazing and I did really want to say sorry to Ken because I know he wanted (laughs) one sorry Ken it's all right not. but yeah. yeah that's all i did with guns this week ken what did you do
4: not a whole lot uh i got in my 6.5 grendel barrel uh it's an m4 barrel so i've just kind of been mocking up parts and then making a list of all of what i need to complete this particular rifle I was trying to join uh, an indoor range that's like seriously only a mile from my house, uh, if that. And unfortunately, they uh, I'm kind of frustrated with their. I, I understand it's a volunteer like organization that kind of runs this municipal indoor range, but so they only hold membership meetings once a month and then they have a safe a mandatory safety meeting once a month that's on a different night
2: i'm listening very carefully now because you're describing my club
4: (laughs) and i i didn't realize it was on the same night that i have my only night class and if i hadn't um so this past monday was both you know, was the membership meeting? and but it was also the night we were supposed to thoroughly go through our midterm exam. And so I was like, God, there's no way. like i I would probably skip class once, you know, to go to this membership meeting.
3: Uh-huh.
4: But the what we were supposed to go over was so important. I emailed the people that run the range. And said, "Hey, is there you know is there any other way I could just get together with somebody real quick on another night, something like that?" And um, long no, story sh- short, <laughs> the guy said, "Well, I'll look into it." And I haven't heard anything since. I go to class. He postpones going o- um, going over the midterm. For another week.
2: (laughs) Oh, man.
4: So (laughs) I'm really, really frustrated. Because really, this is my best chance to really go shooting almost at all. Because I'm so busy. Even on the weekends, I'm doing so much homework this semester. Which is another thing that really sucks. Um, After I graduated from gunsmithing school, this was supposed to be my easy semester. Mm -hmm. So I I graduated from one school and I, I moved I I'm no longer going down to Trinidad. I'm actually at home seven days a week. And I go to a a school that's like four blocks from my house. Well, I thought it was going to be a much easier semester. Uh -uh. And it turns out that, um, one of my classes dominates all my time with homework. Um, so Getting to this this indoor range, which is open twenty four hours a day, you know, I thought that's my best chance of re- getting to re- go regularly shooting.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And uh, I don't know, it's I'm gonna make it work, but it's it's frustrating. How. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> how so, that's gonna work out.
3: Yeah, you can just clone yourself.
4: Yeah, because the the safety meeting they also only hold on monday nights oh so i'm, so I'm going to have to like if they don't manage to make some other arrangements and it's kind of crappy for me to expect special arrangements but like if i can't either go to i can't skip the class twice to no. go to both of those things so i may just have to wait till may or or june
3: yeah
4: yeah I,
2: I hear you, Ken, because that's the exact situation that we're in. We have uh, a, a gun club meeting once a month, and then we have um, we're, we're implementing this year. You can join any anytime, you can pay any time, but you don't get your membership card. We don't advise the CFO's office to give you an ATT. Um, you don't get the combination to the gate until you attend a safety orientation at the range itself, and right yeah. now we're only going to do that once a month. So it, the onus is on the member to, you know, get it to get get themselves organized and scheduled to attend whenever they can attend. There's another club out there, I don't remember which one, they will do a private safety orientation for you, but you got to pay something like 100 bucks extra mm, to pay wow. for that person's time to sure. be there.
4: No, I, yeah, that makes sense.
2: <clears throat> so, um we're going to try it and then after a while, we'll we'll revamp and and try and improve. You know, I mean, you need members to have a club, obviously, because you
1: uh-huh.
2: right. So you can't be you can't be too uh, too strict. Like like what Kelly goes through, I could never I could never imagine. And I know, well, at the club where Kelly's at, they've got so many people that want to join. They can put them whatever they want. Uh-huh. I mean, Kelly, didn't you say that they made you shoot on the move? Yeah, No they did when you go to the club on a regular shooting day, are you going to shoot on the move? Why is that a requirement? Hey, no, never mind, never mind. Uh-huh. That's my own personal, let's not go down that road. But okay. Anyway. Um,
4: <laughs> that's something that's like not usually allowed. Well, I think...
2: No, let's come on, because I, I will lose it. my shit on this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, to me, it doesn't need to be there, and it's one of those...
3: Anyway. Well, I think that also because of the fact that I've shot before. He was not as... Anyways, go
2: ahead. Learning to shoot on the move is something you do if you're going to take a black badge or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if I was a bullseye shooter? Why would they make me shoot on the move? Anyway, like I said, I don't want to talk about mm-hmm. that. Yep. Um, so, uh, what we try to do, though, Ken, is uh, we will try to make ourselves available if somebody can't make a meeting. And some of us on the executive are pretty good at, at meeting up with people. I've had people come to the house, which I'm not open to doing for strangers, but if it's somebody I know, like for example, my electrician can never make the meeting. I wanted a, um, a membership. Well, he's my electrician. I know who he is. I know who he, I know where he lives. I know where he works. I don't mind having him come to my home, but I'm not going to have Joe Schmo come to my home. So anyway, sure. the, you said something that I, that I want people to keep in mind because I had a negative experience last week. And that is you realize that the club is run by volunteers so I had a guy call my cell phone. I don't know how he got my cell phone because my cell phone number is not published on our website, but he called my cell phone and he was a rude. I'm going to, I'm going to save SMB. Adriel the editing. I know he was worse Thank than SOB. He <laughs> was mofo, uh, <laughs> you know, anyway, he's a French, a French guy from Quebec with no manners. And before the conversation was over, he was apologizing because he just pushed the line a little too far and I told him, listen, no, no, stop. You're, you're pushing me too far right now with your with your snarky comments. I'm at work. I don't need to be talking to you. I need to be working. You call me at work, and you first of all, you complain that, you know, it's on you. You didn't read the form. Like, he thought that uh, our membership was calendar year from when you join to when you join. He joined in October, and his membership expired on the 31st of December. They went to transfer a gun. And the CFO's office said, you're not a member of that club. Your membership expired. So right away, he's, and I, he was going on. And I didn't acknowledge him one bit when he complained about this. because He kept thinking that he'd get the hint. And then he tried complaining about something else. And then he tried complaining about the website. And I said, our webmaster works 12 hours a day. And he's like, well, he certainly doesn't work 12 hours a day on your website. And that's when I lost it on him. And I, said, I explained to him the fastest way to renew his membership. To send an EMT, blah blah blah, and then we'll get it processed. And no EMT came, and I haven't heard from him since. As far as I'm concerned, good. <laughs> I don't want a guy with an attitude like that around the range. Like he was just, a, he was just a real jerk. Thank you, Kelly. You <laughs> 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 my censor. It's saving me time. So yeah, just yeah. Remember the air volunteers, Ken.
4: Oh yeah, and, no, that's well, why I said remember. that. You know, it was yeah. like I realize, you know, that. Nobody's being paid to be there. Yeah, it is just frustrating.
2: It is. You want you want to join, but the people that are who are supposed to take your money aren't, aren't as available as uh, as you would like. Yep. So anyway, that's what I the uh, that's what I I told this guy. That was the message I gave him. Remember, like we're all volunteers. I don't even need to be talking to you right now. You called me on my cell phone while I'm at work. I should have just said I'm sorry I can't talk to you and hung up, but I didn't. Instead, you know. So anyway. Interesting. Is that
0: all you did in guns, Ken?
4: In the last (laughs) week,
0: yeah. (laughs) I was just messing with you. Trevor's been talking for the last, what, five, ten minutes?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's move on to upcoming events. Uh, Adriel, do you want to read about the 7th Annual Canadian?
0: Do I? The 7th Annual Canadian Podcasters Charity Shoot will be on Saturday, July 8th at the Guelph Rod and Gun Club in Guelph, Ontario. This one will be hosted by the Canadian Patriot Podcast and the International Liberty or Death Podcast. This year's charity is many to one.
3: Perfect. Uh, well, Trevor, do you want to give us an update on the spots available for the shoot? Do you want to talk about it?
0: I don't
2: believe there's been any change. I did want to comment though about the pod or the uh, the pub night. Mm-hmm. If we do a pub night, Adriel, it'll have to be on Thursday, right? Because we'll be traveling out there. If we do a pub night in Edmonton, that is, we'll have to do it Thursday because on Friday we're going to be traveling out in St. Paul, aren't we not? Yeah. Yeah, so because we had talked about, I think we said on the show we would do a pub night on a Friday, but Friday night we won't be in Edmonton, so if the listeners are interested in a pub night, it's going to have to be on a Thursday. Thursday. Well, i was just Which is, to keep it to a dull roar. Yeah, well, this is good, right? Because people need to work the next day, so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah, no, I think that's it. Uh, I don't think we've had anybody else register.
3: So there's still four spots available. Uh,
2: uh, on the first
3: day, first not on day. the second day.
2: Yep.
3: Right. So, email us, send the EMT. It's two hundred dollars for the the first day. Uh, what don't I do? Got your six. Got your six. Charity shoot. The second annual precision rifle competition is July twenty second and twenty third. It's an Edson, Alberta, and the funds are raised go towards the War Horse Awareness Foundation. So you can check it out at uh, www.gotyoursixshoot.com. Ken, can you read this? The second annual Ronnie DeGroote, or.
4: Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, the next up is the second annual Ronnie Groot Steel Challenge, which is June 3rd at 10 a.m. Uh, Cost $20. It's a 250 round match steel challenge stages and shoot-off competitions. Now, oops. Oops. Not sure Sorry,
2: that i not sure where that is. I was going to say,
3: yeah. how do you register for it?
2: Um, you don't. You just show up. What oh, you do okay. need to do, if you were hoping to stay at the uh Fer Latte Savoy compound, you need to contact uh, Queen for, Queen Savoy through Facebook to uh, make arrangements. Brian's already booked his room through her. So has uh, Jay Hines. Who else booked a room hunt? McClatchy. Oh, the okay. bedrooms are full. We got the attic and the basement. Alright, the only thing we got left is the attic and the basement, and of course you can put a tent in the backyard. Excellent. And Christina says if you're small enough, you can cuddle between us, which I don't want I really <laughs> do.
4: I'm small enough.
2: Yeah, you are, Ken. Yeah, he <laughs> small, is. small enough.
3: Yeah,
2: he is. She said, alright, Ken, you're in, bud. <laughs> awesome.
3: Along with the cats. All right, caps use of force. Uh, Trevor, take it away. No. Oh, Adriel. Okay.
0: Yeah, can't uh, can't ruin the uh, the rotation here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> caps we use of force. I don't know. I thought we were doing that. Eh, Let's just no. pretend we were. It's On the fly. Uh, <laughs> caps use of force training will be four hundred dollars plus applicable taxes. Uh, this is the training course with Dave Young, October fourteenth and fifteenth in Dalhousie, New Brunswick. Go to caps trainingcom up to register today uh, out of 15 seats total there's 12 left
3: All right uh, so this is from Jason Phelps I'll take this one it's the Buffalo Target Shooters Association uh, they're having some young gun shoots and it's in Calgary Alberta on April 22nd it's the Easter Bunny shoot on October 22nd it's the Pumpkin shoot and September 30th we also have the Turkey shoot and December 31st the Snow Shoot shoot. Anyways, you uh, can contact Nick Lou or you can go to their Facebook page. And we've had it in our show notes the past couple of weeks, so go there if you want to sign up for that. Get your kids out and get them shooting. And uh, the tactical shotgun course, uh, Ken, why don't you take that as well?
4: Okay, it's a tactical shotgun course in Edmonton. Tactical Yoga is doing a tactical shotgun course near Edmonton on March 18th and 19th. For more info, go to... TacticalYoga.ca and the Calgary Shooting Center is running a range safety trauma course. hmm, That's right up my alley. Uh. On March 18th and 19th, and a dynamic pistol one course on March 25th and
2: 26th. So basically, if you don't take these courses, that makes you what?
4: A communist. communist. An (laughs)
0: unsafe (laughs) communist. (laughs)
2: Ah,
4: yeah. Oh a neglectful communist. A neglectful
2: <laughs> communist. Sign up for the course or become a neglectful communist. Mm. Or remain a neglectful communist.
3: Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Enough about the communists. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh news. Uh who put in the ar- uh, the archangel archangel stock? Archaggle Archga, okay. What archangel? <laughs> well, I'm assuming that uh, you put it in there. Did you? No.
4: No. Nope. No. Nope. You didn't, didn't put, put it, it in. in.
2: No.
3: Nope. Uh, all right. The uh, link doesn't work
2: anyway. The link doesn't no, work anyway. You copied the whole thing there.
3: So. Oh. Yeah. Well,
2: I see the words archa-
0: archangel and it's, uh, it's down the gaunt. It's it's down anyways. It's down. So okay, I can right. go to the next one here. Uh, next right. one here, I've got uh, this one. This is um, uh, from Dominion Outdoors. They're just uh, mentioning that they got a shipment of the Beretta ARX-160 rifles in 22. Uh, so if you're looking at the rimfire version of the ARX-100, ARX uh, they're out there, and they're going for 679 So, Am uh, I to assume that these are non-restricted? Yes, uh, yes,
2: it yes. does say non-restricted. There, non-restricted. So it's another twenty-two wrapped in plastic, like the uh,
0: GSG and what's the other one? ISSC. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's built on the same action as the ISSC. It looks different. Um, so, and I, I think this one's made by Beretta, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's so, Beretta, on it, so I mean, yeah, so it might, I mean, it might be a different action than than the ISSC version. There's certainly light years ahead of what
2: the Mossberg uh, Plinkster wrapped in air plastic is, there's no question, but I don't Yep
0: uh, Yeah. Anyways, that thing's there. Uh, okay. I can I can just rip through all these here. Yeah, you um, put them all in, so. Yeah, sure. So the next one here is that the Firearms Outlet Canada is uh, now carrying MeproLite products. Mepro, Mepro? Any opinions? MeproLite. Mepro. I think it's Mepro as well. Yeah. Uh, Mepro uh products. So if you're looking for like a red dot or uh, uh, they have a couple of like different lit sites and that kind of thing, uh, they've got those guys. They uh, are um, the M21 reflex site.
2: Looks amazing on a Tavor. Have you ever seen one like it's I think that's what the Israeli army runs on their Tavors is the Meprolite. And yeah. these sites are the real deal. Um, FX Hummel 1 who uh, has come a long way in his YouTube career and now does a lot of testing and evaluation and is sponsored by companies. And he did a torture test on one of these things. And I was really impressed with it. Matthew had one for sale. I got it for a little while. I found it too heavy. It Mm -hmm. is, it is beefy, but uh, it's built to last. It'll take anything that you can throw at a uh, aim point. It has a really neat um, reticle that's shaped like a triangle Kind of like what's in the ACOG, sort of. Mm. And I see here they've got uh, a smaller version as well, the uh, a reflex sight. But it's uh, you know it's thirteen hundred bucks. Whatever, it's only money.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's only yeah. If you go down a little further, they got the the green bullseye rear sight for the Glock. It's only two hundred bucks.
2: Yeah, I'm not a believer, so I kind of just. Pretended I didn't see that one.
3: (laughs) All right. Do you want to go on with the next one as well?
0: Yeah, you bet. Uh, So the next one here is that uh, Prophet River is uh, going to be dealing Hooglu shotguns. Uh, So these are uh, the makers of the CZ shotguns. So they're going to be bringing in a whole pile of those. Um, and then the last one I have here is uh, just an update from Wolverine Supplies on their uh, uh, CZ-858 um, Spartan rifles that they were trying to bring in. Now, these were the CZ-858s that just had the, the nicer wood on them. So uh-huh. not, not the beaver barf uh, reconstituted chip wood with whatever other stuff they put in there to, <laughs> to make fake wood. But um, these, these are the ones that had the, the, the nice wood stocks. And uh, they had appealed the decision from the RCMP that these were um, different than the CZ A58s, um, yeah. and therefore, um, like Wolverine was trying to get these in because they were the same as the A58s, and the A58s were deemed uh, non-restricted; like you could, you could use them. They weren't uh, um, getting hit by that converted uh, auto thing. But uh, can I
2: stop you right there, Adriel? Yep. If we won and the C- CZ858 tactical 2 was taken off the prohibit list and put back on the on the non-restricted list why didn't we just stay with that why did they try and bring in a new version cuz
0: i don't think this is a new version i th- like they they this called wasn't it something a new else FR- i thought yeah so i thought it, they wanted a new frt number oh i'm not sure if they were asking for a new frt or not all i know is that they considered it the uh, the same as the 858 and they uh Different, sorry, different than the A58, therefore prohibited because it's a converted full-auto rifle.
2: Hmm. Anyway, there's information on there about the FRT numbers here. There's a lot of documents published on CGN by Wolverine, including copies of the RCMP letter that was sent outlining their decision. So if you want to get enraged, I suggest you go over and read it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like Wolverine was saying like, "Hey, you guys thought this was a new new rifle, but it's just an error. Like we just called it something different cuz it had different wood on here. It's not a new rifle, and we modified it back to 858 as soon as you um as soon right. as you told us. And here's some pictures of the receivers. They're all the same. Um but no, they they claimed it's a and it, like, I don't know why we're looking for logic from the uh, from the FRT lab with uh, with the or the, from the firearms lab with the RCMP because they thought the Blaze forty seven was a prohibited uh, variant of the AK forty seven. Like, yeah. Why are we right looking there. for logic here? Why were we expecting yep. logic? Like, wh- what were we expecting here?
2: <laughs> that's right. These are the same people that prohibited a plastic clam shelled AK forty seven twenty two Blaze.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it it stops there (laughs) yeah so those uh those aren't going anywhere
3: No. okay so one of the things that we have been doing is we've been doing some funny gun stories or ads and one of our listeners sent one in you guys want to talk about this one
2: i can't see it is there a Uh, link to it no well no i've made the picture
3: a little made the picture a little bigger it's a high point it and the guy goes on to say, restricted, model 995. Don't know much about this one. It's a 9mm with a couple of uh, clips and a fake EO attack, etc. It's a right shoot and haven't used it much, but no jamming and no misfires uh, the times that I've shot it. Uh, he thinks that a fair deal on this one or fair price on this one would be, of, uh, I think it's $400 that he's looking for. And yeah. he's uh, he said 8.5 out of 10.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. Eh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, he that took was... a picture with his cell phone, and it's kind of uh, well, it's a horrible picture. That's it reason.
2: is a horrible picture, but <laughs> it, thank God that uh, he didn't put a real uh, EoTech on it and stayed with the generic EcoTech brand. Mm-hmm. Oh man! Awesome.
3: Yeah. So, if you have some gunny fun or gunny fun stories,
2: funny gun stories. <laughs> this one time at gun camp (laughs) never mind that's a different show
3: yeah if you got some funny gun ads send them to us because we'll put them on too yeah anyways how much does this go for really in real life
2: i've never seen a restricted one i've only ever seen the non-restricted (laughs) a high point and they are still like six or seven hundred bucks no the
0: restrict the restricted ones are like 380 are they and that's still desert. super expensive compared to what they are in the states. Well,
3: hey Ken, how much geez. are they in the states? Do you know?
4: I have I've never even looked at them. So <laughs> proud to say, <laughs> I was just say like, you know who has one is Tim Crossno. Serious? What? I'm, I'm, I'm. He's such a Richard. Ninety percent <laughs> sure that
2: he has one. <sighs> oh, oh Tim!
4: I, Tim, that's yeah. Tim, oh,
2: say Tim. it ain't so.
4: And what's weird, and you know, I haven't shot one, so this is perfectly reasonable, but the people who own them, the ones in 9 millimeter only, say that they are actually great. They're the one firearm that High Point makes that are reliable.
2: Yeah, um, FX Hummel 1, back in the day when I first met him, uh, when his channel was kind of young and we used to chat on Skype quite a bit, he had one and he couldn't say enough good things about it.
4: Yeah, and I've heard that from every owner of one of these carbines. Really? Yeah.
3: Mm. You should go shoot it. Tell us how it is.
4: You know, it's still fun to make fun of them.
3: Oh, yeah, Yeah.
2: of course, because it's Crosno. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, awesome.
3: Okay, so tonight's main topic, we have somebody special on for you guys. Who? It's Mr. Ken Cole. Who's that? Oh. (laughs) Not only is he our guest host, he's our main topic as well. Uh, so, Ken, thanks for thanks for coming on, and uh, take it away, Trevor.
2: I will do my best with okay. uh, the, uh, you know, there'll be some dead air as I as I mute my mic throughout this to clear my throat. So, Kowalski has um, uh, become the podcast's very own go-to gunsmith guy. So, a um, little bit of background on Ken. Ken was a medic in the military, left the military, decided he wanted to become a gunsmith, finished one program, he's currently enrolled in another program. Uh, founder of the 22 podcast and now founder of Modern Rifle and Radio that he does with a couple of Canadians. It's actually more Canadian than American now. We're we're infiltrating, we're taking it over from him, so that's I'm cool. I'm
4: working on that. I'm working on that. Are you? Well yeah. you got let's see you got Jay
2: Hines on there, you got Kevin on there, and you got uh Bolivar on there and then there's you. So it's a Canadian well, show now.
4: There are a few other Americans. I just forget to message them, hey we're reporting tonight. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but the
4: Canadians always show up, right? The Canadians are always showing up. They're they're exactly. they're reliable. Keen. Well, right? yeah. See it's the one American that's not. Because there you, there I just
2: forget it. to email other people. So saying, how about this? How about you go back to the twenty-two podcast and give us Modern Rifleman Radio? How's that sound? Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> I'm almost willing to do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Brian's going to kill me. <laughs> so um, Ken, the reason I asked you to come on tonight is because um, my Millsurp collection is growing. Um, mm-hmm. I never thought I would say my Millsurp collection and <laughs> it would come out of my mouth, but uh, yeah. Uh, I've got my, uh, I've got two Lee Enfields. i got a jungle carbine that needs to have the stock stripped and refinished because somebody varnished it and it looks lame. And I've got that Mosin I took home. And it's it's clean rifle, but the wood could use, uh, I want, basically these things are going to become wall hangers. I'm going to put my Russian stuff on the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably going to put my Garand and my M1 carbine on the wall. Uh, maybe not the M1 carbine because it's actually restricted, so I can't put it on the wall. I can, but there's some extra steps involved that would be really lame got to lock it to the wall. Yeah, basically, yeah, it's got to be trigger locked and permanently attached to the wall. um, Right. Or the other ones can just be trigger locked, right? So so anyway, um, I sent you a PM a little while ago and I asked you, like, you know, how do I strip a stock was the first thing and you were like, oh man, where do I begin? Well, you begin by coming on the show and taking us through (laughs) step by step. Uh, I was basically just looking for you know what chemicals do I need? What tools do I need? Like so take us through it. I've got my M1 right. Grant or I've got my I've got my um Mos-Naghan stock and I want to strip the finish off. So let's start with stripping the finish off the stock. What tools and chemicals do I need?
4: Sure. Well, so first let's start with um kind of an overview of maybe depending on what is on your stock. Um because it's going to make a big difference. Yeah, like you uh, know because like so most of your older stocks um if they weren't a military so we're t- I mean we're talking military surplus so we're going to go down pretty much one road but most of your older stocks were all oil, oil finish um uh, okay. which is which is the easiest. Okay. So like if you have a lever action or say an older um model 60 Um, like the pre 64, um, or like an older Remington shotgun or, you know, just anything kind of pre eighties, say commercial gun. A lot of those had an oil finish. Uh, and those can be, you don't need any special chemicals for those. Um, but if it's, if it's had a varnish or a lacquer on it, then you're going to need some sort of stripper. Um, and then, so most of with the older ones, the easiest thing to use is you could just go to the paint store or the hardware store and you could pick up, uh, a citrus based paint stripper. Um, the one thing about that is, man, does it make a mess? It's just, it's a nasty process stripping that stuff off, um, and fortunately i haven't actually had to do one of those types of stocks um but that's that's the chemical you want to use is um citrus based paint stripper and like i said you could get that anywhere
0: so can i I, um the citrus stuff works it just needs like a lot of time I found like the nasty chemical stuff to be wicked cuz it worked like right. <laughs> I'm I'm super well, impatient and it works like way faster. Probably not as good I, for the wood though.
4: And I actually have yeah, I was going to get into that with um so those are the the older stocks with those finishes are kind of the easier ones. There are there are new stocks that are coming out with a synthetic finish. Um mm-hmm. Now, we're still talking about wood stocks. We're not talking about a synthetic um, stock itself. But a lot, some of the companies have started using some synthetic materials, and they're even harder to get off than the older lacquers and varnishes. Um, so, in that case, um, honestly, the best thing to do, best thing you can get hands down for probably any of those. There's um, Brownells carries uh, sort of strip. And it it's apparently just the, the best thing to take off any lacquer or varnish, including the new versions that have synthetic materials in them. Um, I haven't tried any others, so I can't say really how well they work or don't. Um, I've watched both. You know, somebody using the citrus-based stripper and it took a well, you're right it takes a while and it's a huge mess um and then i do know about the Surta strip but the only place i know you can get that from is brownells in the u.s so i don't know if there's you know i guess it kind of depends on your cost benefit analysis um if you get one big cane you're you're going to be good for a while. If, if you're going to continue like with a mill cert collection, you don't necessarily need the cert to strip, but it's going to be faster in the long run. Yeah. And we should you're gonna,
2: probably focus on the stuff you can get at the local home depot, um, that your average gun owner can get without having to order specifically or sure. go to a gunsmith, you know, readily available wood stripping products.
4: Yeah. And that's going to be the, that's going to be the citrus based paint stripper. Cause you can, as far as I know, you can pick that up pretty much anywhere. Yeah. At, least, paint at stripper, least here. Right? In, yeah. Yeah. Um, and even though it's, um, probably a little bit more eco friendly than say like the Surta strip, you definitely want to wear gloves. Um, you want to do it somewhere where you have good ventilation. Um, and are
2: all these warning instructions on the can recommending that you do?
4: Probably, but, you know, probably, okay. yeah. And you want to you want to follow the instructions on the can. Um, you're just going to need. Um, I would have a good number of uh, clean rags mm-hmm. ready because they're going to fill up pretty quick with this. This it it just turns into this sludge that you're basically just pulling off of the rifle, or, or the stock, rather.
2: Now, what if the stock still has, like, Cosmoline oozing out of it? Do I, do I heat up the stock and wipe that off first, or do I, can I just go right at it with the chemical stripper? And then will that mm. also suck the Cosmoline out, or can I get the Cosmoline out after?
4: I think it would probably work, but I'm used to steaming that stuff off first. Steaming, yeah, yeah, if you actually i, I part of it's I was just lucky enough to have one of those power steamers, uh-huh, I had access to one for a while, um I forget what their real name is, just but it's it's a you know it's a canister that heats up, and it's got a a spray nozzle mm-hmm. with a on a little wand, and it's uh. It comes out, you want to be obviously very careful because it's actual steam it's coming out. Yeah, you it's very, yourself, very, very right. hot. Yeah. But um, it it just pulls that stuff off. Like right.
2: So your average, I'm not going to have that in my basement. So we've got to keep <clears> talking <throat> about the things that the average person is going to have at home. Um, a heat gun is more accessible than a steamer. So can sure. it be done with a heat gun? And what do I have to be careful of? With
4: the heat gun, I'm just obviously you don't want to, heat up the wood to the point where you're going to discolor it.
2: Right. So you can actually hold the heat gun in one place too long and damage the wood.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So you got to find the sweet spot as far as holding the gun away and continually moving it, right?
4: Right, right. So imagine your heat gun, instead of heating up your, your stock, Imagine if you were painting something with a spray can. Well, you don't just hold it in one place. Yeah, yeah kinda, exactly. If you kind of get that mental image of your head, you're using a paint can, you ha- you sort of have the same sort of motion. You can
2: actually burn the wood with the heat gun.
4: Not mine, I don't think, but it's possible. Right. So I just I just err on, on the side of caution. Okay. You know, so that I, I'm moving around, slowly heat it up. Um, if even if if you had a an oven big enough, or if your stock was small enough, or it was like a two piece, you could stick it in the oven at a real low temp. You know, say like 110, 120 until sure. you see it can start I to bubble. Can I throw my uh, can
0: I throw my redneck engineering uh, idea in the mix here? Sure. So, so when I redid my Mosin, I needed to like yeah, the Cosmo just like slowly oozes out of it. Um, what I did was grab one of my boxes that, uh, that came with a normal size rifle, which was perfect for the the stock on that thing. I stuck my, uh, my heat gun in one end of it and, uh, and put a very small vent hole on the other side so that that heat gun was, it was kind of like a little mini oven kind of a thing, but a low low temperature kind of a thing with constant airflow going over it. I would pop it in there for about 10 minutes at a time, take it out, towel it off and, uh, and then put it back in and, uh, that was just that was better because if you if you use the heat gun on it and if your Mosin was like really sopping in it, it you'll it'll be a while before you get all that stuff out.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like so, that idea totally. That that that's exactly what I'm talking about with doing it in the oven.
2: Mm-hmm. And and again, are we trying to do this before we chemically strip the finish off or after?
4: No, uh, I, I try not to mix chemicals or I try to use what i know a chemical is for on a chemical that it's for mm-hmm. <laughs> um so with the cosmoline i try to get that stuff off first okay um just cuz like i don't really know how the stripper is going to react to the cosmoline right um and it might be perfectly safe whatever i just always err on the side of caution to not mix chemicals that you know they didn't the the paint stripper people didn't intend for it to be used on Cosmoline, so I'm going to try to get that stuff off first. Plus, you're wasting you could be wasting stripper. Um. So yeah, sweat that stuff off first. Get it, get it nice and clean, and then go to town with the the paint stripper. Cool. Um. So once you, what are the things I like to do? And it kind of depends on what you want the gun to look like. I mean, you're refinishing it. So to me, when you refinish a gun, you're going beyond that um, original collector value. Or you're kind of going around that.
2: Does yeah, makes well, sense. Yeah,
4: yeah, absolutely. You don't go take the patina off
2: a hundred-year-old firearm. That is a firearm that is actually worth something. Since right. Mosins are a dime a dozen,
4: so you know. so so. My next thing is that it's sort of a decision you have to make. You're already refinishing the wood. Do you want to leave any marks in it, or like nope. ding- dings and things like that?
2: You no, know, my my goal is to put it on the wall and make it look like it was never issued. Kind of. An original, you know, something that would hang in a museum. That was, I like my guns to look factory fresh, even if sure. they're millsurps.
4: Okay, well, if you want to do that, once you get the the varnish off, um, and that's going to not only take. Uh, so once you once you get done with the the stripper to get the the lacquer or varnish off, you're going to want to sand it a little bit because. The stripper, um, it'll take almost all of it off, but you'll kind of want to finish it with some some sandpaper. And so you're going to want uh, a variety of grits of sandpaper. Mm, Depending, like 220 or 240 to 600 is kind of a good range. Um, You could probably even get away with just 320 to 600. Uh, And you'll you'll want to start with the 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 most coarse. so you mm-hmm. want to start with like the 220 240 320 and just do a light sanding over the whole gun just to make sure that you didn't miss anything with the stripper and you, also you want to make sure you get out of the there'll be there could be some left in the pores of the wood mm-hmm. And so you kind of want to just take that down below the pores. So you make sure that you get that finish out. Um, Then the next step that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily do, but if you want to get it back to that kind of like factory fresh look, um, and it won't necessarily cure everything, but if you've just got some little dents in it or um, anything that hasn't really torn the wood, Uh, What I like to do is get um, a fresh, clean rag, get it wet, um, and then wring it out just a little bit so it's damp. And then I use a clothes iron, just a regular, you know, for ironing your shirts. You put the rag on the wood over the dents or, or little dings, and you literally iron the stock over the a wet rag and so you're
2: that that swells up the like that's how you can remove a dent without sanding it out right you're you're rehydrating the fibers and lifting it to the surface
4: yeah it's going to push it it back towards um its original shape before it got bumped and like i said it kind of depends on the severity of the bump or you know whatever the mark is A lot of times you can't get it out completely, Um, but it's going to make all of them look a little better anyway. Cool. So after that, um, you're going to want to do more sanding. And what I like to do, you really only have to do this once, but for some reason I'll do it multiple times, is you want to whisker up the wood. Which means you're going to just take that damp rag, wipe it over the whole stock, and then you're going to sand with the next higher grit. Until you don't feel any more whiskers. It'll actually just, when you get it wet and then let it dry, it'll bring some little fibers, kind of will stick up. Uh, And they're called the whiskers of the wood. So then if I've already done that with 320, um, if I've already sanded it with 320, I'll I'll get it damp, let it dry, and then I'll go over it with 400. And then I, I do that again um, up to like 600 grit, you know, is as, as, as pretty much as far as I'll go.
2: Um, At that point, the wood just must look like glass.
4: Pretty it's much, kind of it, grid, it, yeah. it's, it's smooth. Yeah, it's very smooth, and it's it's actually even way beyond what like cabinet makers would do. Cabinet makers stop at like two twenty or three twenty. Um,
2: yeah, but it's not a cabinet; it's a Mosin. It needs the very finest. <laughs>
4: exactly.
2: Yeah.
4: Um. So that at this point, you've got all of the. The Varnish, uh, whatever else you know, the cosmoline's out, the varnish is off. You've got the wood, you've steamed it to where you can get some of those dings to look at least a little bit better, if not taking them out. And, um, you obviously want to do if you've if it's something like a Mosin where it's got metal butt plates and stuff like that, you'll also. I should have said at the very beginning, you also want to remove all of that metal hardware off of it, just so it's easier to deal with. Plus, when you, when you put the, the next finish on, it's a little easier when you don't have those things on, because you'll, you'll end up having to remove it from those metal parts mm-hmm. um, if you refinish it with all that stuff on. And then you've got lots of options as far as how what you want to use to refinish it.
2: Okay, so we um, want st- to stick with the theme of the Mosin in here. We want to stick with whatever the original finish was, and maybe you could talk about if you know how the Lee Enfield was originally finished. I don't know if it was oil, oil or boiled linseed oil, or and I've and that- I've got a I've got an M1 Grand stock that Filthy gave me. Uh, it's a Boyd's, and it's finished, but it's not finished. Somebody said soak it in linseed oil. Hmm. Somebody said wipe it down with uh, boiled linseed oil. I don't even know what linseed oil is or how to boil it. Like, do they literally mean put it on a, in a pot and boil it and then dip you a rag in it, and wipe it? Like, <laughs> I mean,
4: you know. <laughs> you buy it. It's available at the hardware store. Yes. Uh, don't do that. No. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> don't
4: do that. Okay, for one thing. Uh, so so let's stick with uh, the mosen.
2: So, we'll go, we'll talk about the other ones later. Stick with the Mosin. So you you said now you've got options. The wood is prepped. Now you're going to finish the wood. So what was a Mosin? If I want it to look factory fresh, like it came from, uh, you know, communist Russia, what should uh, what should I put on that wood now?
4: And it I looks like it's,
2: looks like it's I, varnished.
4: Yeah, I was going to say I I know it's they put either a lacquer or a varnish on it, but mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what that was. Okay um
2: but if i but so
4: something so along those lines research what would closely approximate that um there's actually there's a way you could kind of get the look to do you could do a little bit of a combo uh and this is a good way to do almost any gun um so what you can do there's a a product called a bar top finish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like for the top of counters, wood counters. Um, that's a really good one to seal the wood with. And I can actually, I can forward a video to you guys. Um, yes, yeah, us the link and we'll share it in the show notes. Yeah. I'll, 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 send that to you so people can go watch it. It's actually by midway where he, uh, Larry Potterfield talks about it. It's a, videos. Uh, it's a deep video to show it's almost a shortcut for it's a very good shortcut for the way that custom uh, stock makers would do a complete oil finish. And it gets really the same look um, where you're just going to seal the wood with the bar top finish um, and you're, what basically you're doing is you're going to do several – so now that the wood doesn't have anything on it, it's going to absorb a lot of finish before it seals. And, and that doesn't matter what you're going to use. They're all going to soak in quite a bit. So you are just kind of slather whatever material you're using, oil or this bar top finish which is a, a type of varnish and the wood's gonna soak it up so you're gonna try to move over the entire stock um and I just put it on with like a gloved hand um honestly I'll just dip my fingers in and just keep rubbing over the wood you're just you're gonna keep going you're just gonna keep going over various all the like the entire surface of the of the out to, outside of the stock. Um stay out of the, the barrel channel and the like the internal parts, but on the outside, you wanna just keep kind of slathering the stuff on until it appears that it won't take any more. And that's probably gonna take several minutes. It's gonna soak up this first um, bit, um, like for up, up to ten minutes, it's just going to keep soaking in, and you just you just keep wiping it on with the, a gloved hand. Then <clears throat> you're going to wipe off any excess, and then let that dry. Um, when after it's dry you can go do a super light sanding to where if you've, if you've left little streaks on it or anything, you can kind of get those. So you don't want to take all of it back off. Um, Actually, it kind of depends on, on what sort of finish you're using. So this is where it could kind of split. You might want to, if you're going to use the bar top finish, I'd recommend just watching that video um, because he'll go through the next steps. But what you're basically trying to do with these first few layers is not only seal the wood, but then you want to fill the pores. Because if you just – one mistake a lot of people make is they'll put on coat after coat after coat of finish, no matter what type of finish it is. And that doesn't get a really clean look because virtually all wood has pores. And so if you just layer um, you know, one coat after the other, it's not going to look even um, if you've gone past the pores and then just kept building it up because – kind of hard to describe, but um, imagine you have a road with some potholes in it and somebody's cu- tried to fix the road by just layering over tar, you know, and they just keep putting layer of tar over layer of tar. Well, the pothole will absorb it, but even once you get past the top of the pothole, you've put more on the unbroken asphalt than you have in the pothole. So those layers will build up above that level, but you'll still have those little tiny pits. Um, Is that a a good analogy? Sure. Okay. So what you actually want to do is first with those first few coats is you seal the wood and then you fill the pores and you've got a, I would recommend either having like uh, if you don't have nice young, fresh eyes, uh, if you, if you wear glasses or whatever, I would get a, um, a magnifying glass or something like that. And I would actually look at the wood and make sure that you, everywhere You'll be able to see those pores. you want to make sure that they're they've filled and it's entirely shiny inside of those with the finish um, because once you've filled those, what you want to do is actually sand the whole stock back down to the wood. Um, you don't want to go through the pores, so what you want to do is you want to sand back down to where you're back down to wood, but the pores still have the finish in it. Then you've got a nice, clean, even surface for the next layers of finish to go on top of. So that's those, after we see, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say those next ones are going to be what we call wipe on coats or wipe off coats.
2: Okay. And what's the difference between, shellac, and polyurethane. Hmm.
4: <laughs> uh,
2: do they do the same thing with the different products?
4: They do. They're all going to have different characteristics. And part of it is, you know, part of that is, like, if you have time and whatever it is experimentation. Um, honestly, lacquers varnishes and the polyurethane stuff those were put on by gun companies or by arsenals because it's fast it doesn't mean it's the best stuff right if you're trying if you're trying to reproduce like a burnt mill slurp gun you're going for something specific but if you're if you want a really nice finish that's going to be really protective i would honestly skip that stuff and go to one of the better oil-based finishes right but then because that's going to be a lot better for the wood and it's going to help preserve it for a longer period of time
2: yeah and if i was doing you know a nice seiko or something like that with a wood stock something with walnut. I would go that extra mile, but I want it to look authentic. I don't, you know, like somebody, somebody put varnish on the jungle carbine that I have and it looks lame. Mm, mm-hmm. So cool. Well, Ken, I think that's enough for, for our first go around. Cause we could, like I suggested when we first talked about this, we may have to do multiple, uh, multiple episodes to cover this because it's not as simple as I would like it to be. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of steps involved and at this point frankly I'm ready to just keep going to the gunsmith
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know and uh, there's a lot of work involved in doing a real proper um, refinish job which Mm -hmm. can be a lot of fun if you have the time but you know sometimes it's more economical in the long run to let the gunsmith do it Um, he's going to be able to do it faster and has the equipment to do it Mm-hmm. Um, however, I mean, there's something to be said about having it. You know, when you have a collection like that, being personally invested in it enough to do some of that work yourself, too.
0: Well, you mentioned yeah. uh, you mentioned speed there, but I would say it would be quality because, um, you know, with someone oh, who doesn't, someone who doesn't refinish wood a lot, you're gonna get mm-hmm. a, you're yeah. likelier to get a lower quality finished product than someone who. Knows how to do it, has a process set down, follows the process, and doesn't muck around in between with trying to, you know, do this or that or the other thing. They just know what they need to do and they just go about doing it right. Yeah, now, guy,
4: I will throw out that you know they may not. I would, I would try to be knowledgeable enough of what the original finishes were, and present that to your gunsmith because they may not know what a particular country was using on a, on a mill gun. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it just depends on your gunsmith and their, their, their experience with those items.
2: Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You may ask to have a rifle stock refinished. Uh, yeah. If it's, especially if it's a mill you don't want, I mean, he may do a fantastic job, and it looked great, but not fit the genre of that firearm. Yep, looked great, yep. but at the same time, look out of place. Maybe right. a bang up job, but for you, ruin the look of the firearm. Right.
4: So yeah, it, yeah. So yeah it, when you, whenever you want to do something like that, it's important to communicate with your gunsmith exactly what you're looking for. You know, because if you just tell them, "Hey, I want this to," get refinished and look nice well he's gonna do that but
2: what does look nice mean the fine look nice yeah
4: yeah you know be be specific of of what you're looking for
2: cool well you've definitely shared enough with me and the listeners to get me started on stripping off the old finish and prepping the wood for the new finish and i think maybe in a month or whatever we'll have you back on to talk more detail about now finishing the the stock and maybe we can pick three different finishes and kind of stay on track and focus on if you're going to do linseed this is what you do if you're going to do you know varnish this is what you do that that
4: sort of thing sure and we we could even talk about you know like the differences in wood Wood. there's
2: that too yeah yeah there's that makes a huge
4: difference on how it gets done it depends on what kind of wood is it
2: yeah cool all right, so one final question, Ken, and it's just a yes or no question: uh, Wood on an Air Fifteen? Yes. All right, so, uh, Adriel, you're going to take this whole interview and, and throw it out, cut it, throw it out, leave it on, leave it on the editing <laughs> That's room going floor. In the trash can, Kowalski or the devil? All right, cool. Well, thanks for joining us, Ken. You going to hang out for the rest of the show? Absolutely. All right, cool. Yay. Thanks. All right.
3: All right, now on to listener feedback. And because of the fact this is coming from Alberta, Adriel, it's yours. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: All right, this, this is, is some from Jason there, guess, Phil. Yeah. Uh Some of these dates were changed, though, so if one of you guys can uh, take a look at the further emails that Jason sent over uh, just to update some of these dates. Um uh, it was an, I'll, I'll just read the email ver- verbatim here. It was an incredibly beautiful day for the Valentine's shoot at Silver Willow in Carstairs, Alberta, just over a week ago. With temps climbing much higher than was forecast, it hardly felt like winter. Thanks very much to Don, Gwen, and Josh Day for hosting this annual season opener. Uh, Is going on to some opinions. Congratulations to Kevin Cole for on winning his second consecutive val- Valentine's shoot. Uh, first high overall with a one seventy eight out of two hundred uh, the next three registered events, and I think uh, this is where some of the timing has changed
3: yeah so the silver willow is mm-hmm. going to be on a uh, March opener is sorry March eighteenth okay, so that was changed
0: and, and then they've their saint Hubertus in uh Manitoba is the April Fools season opener on april first yeah
3: that 's still the same.
0: Okay, Vancouver Gun Club, West Coast Four Hundred. That's a four-day event from April thirteenth to sixteenth.
3: And that's still the same as well.
0: Beautiful. And those are all. If you're if you're into Boston Clays, that's the uh, those are the events to go to.
3: Excellent, Trevor. You're up because it's from Chad, and he's talking to you.
4: Yeah, Chad says oh. Trevor. What? what? I was to say somebody else should read that because they're reading it too, Trevor. <laughs> that's
2: no. I will own this one. I'm eating okay. crow here. Back off. Uh. <laughs> Chad says, Trevor, you're wrong. Or possibly just being curmudgeon for the sake of argument. You. Yeah, yeah. And he's both right. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm wrong, and I was being a little curmudgeon, but mostly wrong. Uh, he sent a video of a gentleman by the name of Keith Garcia, who is very much an accomplished three-gun shooter and, and shotgun shooter, using a chest-mounted shot shell caddy, and he doesn't look like a mall It looks like a piece of competition equipment and he is getting done some amazing reloads. So yeah, I definitely stand corrected. There is a place for uh, chest-mounted shell caddies uh, in in actual high-level competition three-gun matches. Now, unfortunately, and another reason why I probably wouldn't run them is because, like, well, first of all, most of the three-gun that's run in this country is outlaw three-gun with rules made up by the host club. Mm-hmm. If you shoot actual... IPSC three-gun, chest rigs for shotgun shells are not allowed, believe it or not. Mm. Yeah, because apparently, remember, IPSC is in 84 countries around the world because it's the most politically correct of the action shooting sports, apparently. We dressed like NASCAR drivers in bright colors and sponsorship logos. There's no camo allowed. Um, the our ROs aren't allowed to wear guns anymore. Uh, the Target doesn't have a head box anymore. This is why we're in 84 countries and IDPA isn't or USPSA. Well, USPSA is just a, a branch of IPSC. But true story, you're not allowed to wear a chest rig for shot shells in IPSC because you look like the uh, like a suicide bomber. You look like you got a bunch of explosives strapped to your, to your chest. So somebody in all their fuddy, intimate wisdom, wisdom decided Aww. that shot shell, shot shell holders Chess rigs are a nene in Ipsick. So I often uh no, I don't often wonder why Brian Bolivar hates Ipsy so much. This is one of the reasons why Bolivar hates Ipsy so much. So anyway, um yeah, uh they they're uh he was getting it done and he's a high level shooter, so yeah. And uh he says uh, Chad says love and kisses. So love and kisses <laughs> to you too, Chad. Thanks, thanks for making. Thanks for making my co-host feel uncomfortable. I'm totally okay with it, but I know it makes my co-host uncomfortable.
3: Eh, not really. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has another one. I thought you should finish with it, but if you want, I can go on with it.
2: Oh, also from Chad. Yes. Uh, um, says, ha, that is dumb. Oh, this is... I. So I replied to Chad and told him about the ipsic rule, so this is his reply. said, ha, that is dumb. They would freak if they saw my 32-round D Turk vest. Also, your point on the podcast, equipment is totally stage dependent. A vest isn't always the best option. I run in the same club as Adriel and kick his butt every weekend (laughs) using the vest on the shotgun only stages for a couple of reasons. One, the round counts are high, sometimes up to 40 shells required if you don't miss. Two, there is no sense in wearing my belt if I don't need my pistol or magazines. Yeah, and you'll see um, professional three-gunners will have three belts because mm-hmm. they'll have a belt for shotgun stage, they'll have a belt for a pistol stage, and they'll have a belt for a rifle stage, and they run one inner belt. It's uh, Safari Land that makes it. It's quite a system. Anyway, he, carries, he continues. He says, for the stages that use all firearms, I have a belt-mounted caddy and use that as I don't need 32 rounds. Three-gun definitely is an equipment race as much as it is a shotgun competition. There's also an argument to be made that the Deterk vest or the Safari Land setup Garcia was running in that video aren't really vests so much as a belt worn around your chest. And that's what I'm saying about, yeah, what Garcia had doesn't look like a, it's not a plate carrier, it's not a chest no, rig it It really it does look like a belt he's wearing around his chest to hold the shot shell caddies up higher. It definitely has a feeling of a piece of competition equipment and not a piece of mall ninja kit which is which is why I like it um the We have a hard enough time in my region to get people out to an ipsic match, so three gun is not accessible because they need three guns, three types of ammunition and ways to hold the ammunition for those other guns. So I always try and make my stages with low round counts. I may have a 32 round stage but that'll be 32 rounds of all three. I won't have a 40 round shotgun stage. We had a stage in Halifax um, at their three gun and they have a much stronger program supported by many more shooters so they can get away with this. They had a 75 round stage which included all three guns and rifle shots out to 220 meters. Um, I I wouldn't put a a stage in a match like that because after the competitors shot it, we scored it, and we reset. It was about 20 minutes between competitors.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's brutal. It was brutal. It was your long shots that made it, right? The long shots are killer. You were taking a golf golf cart to go
2: down and score targets. That's all. We were on a... Uh, like a 200-plus a meter, um, well, maybe it was a 300-meter long range, right? Yeah, those long shots got to be steel. They got to be steel. You got to call them. They were steel. Yeah, they were steel. Muffin was the only one in our squad to get both hits on the first shot, and he <laughs> did it with a 10.3-inch barrel with a $150 scope. We were having the argument about uh, me insisting that long barrels are more accurate than short barrels, and you guys are like, no, man, just look at the science. It doesn't work like that. Uh, well, we know that long barrels give velocity, but there's no question. <laughs> His short barrel was as accurate because he was the only one out of the box. Bang, bang, ding, ding. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Uh-huh. So yeah, I meet some crow. I stand corrected. When you have the right kind of chest rig for your shot shell carriers, professionals are using them and they do certainly work.
3: Uh-huh. All right. All right. You're up, Ken. From Colin.
4: All right. From Colin. I enjoy the podcast plus the humor and information you guys give out. I'm looking for advice on an upper for an AR I'm working on. It is a Omni plastic lower with a Tapco buffer tube and buttstock. I am looking at both 7.62x39 and two two three or five five six calibers. I love the 7.62x39, no doubt due to two SKS, re- <clears throat> excuse me, SKS rifles, I own no Tapco stocks to get wound up about one plane and the other in an ATI stock. So I am leaning more towards that cartridge, at least for my first upper. Do you guys recommend any particular barrel length or brands to consider more than others? Uh, Also add to your collection two gold stars and a pair of Sig P226 handguns. That's a nice bonus. Thanks, guys and gals.
2: Awesome. Um, I'd like to start on this one. Colin, the original Gen Omni plastic lowers were cracking where the buffer tube goes on. The 7.62x39 is going to produce more recoil in an air platform than a 5.56. Unless you have the Gen 2 plastic lower that's got a reinforced steel insert in the back, you may want to stay away from the 7.62x39. A Tapco buffer and a Tapco tube... Uh, it sounds like a pretty uh, entry-level, budget-minded build, and I, d- I wouldn't push those components with the excessive um, recoil of the 7.62x39. I had um, myself, Muffin, Filthy, we all have the NEA 7.62x39 upper. Um, the upper that I had, the bolt broke. They sent me a new bolt. Uh, Muff- or, uh, Snuffleupagus bought it from me. His bolt broke. They sent him another bolt that he's not sure is new. It looks looks used or dirty. Like they went to a nickel boron finish on the new 762 by 39 bolt. Um, problem's supposed to be fixed with the replacement I got, but it broke. So just want, you know, full disclosure, want you to know that. I don't know anybody else making a 762 by 39 upper that is as readily available as um, the NEA one. Also, be careful what ammunition you put in them. We were using the LAR 10-round by 39 mags and lacquered milsterp ammo would run. The newly manufactured Dominion ammo with the unlacquered, call it dry steel case, would hang up in the magazine. Uh, We tried polishing the magazines, uh, didn't really seem to make a difference. We were getting a lot of nose diving issues. But when we went to, we swapped out some different followers to get some no-tilting followers. The Magpul followers seemed to work the best. Even though it was a 5.56 follower, it didn't matter. It it was a no-tilt follower. It really, it helped the reliability of feeding. But ultimately, it came down to the question of ammo. We were all excited about this new Dominion ammo because it was jacketed hollow point lead core or full metal jacket lead core, newly manufactured, non-corrosive but it wouldn't run in the 10 round mag. So I ended up selling it. They were very, very accurate. I mean, very accurate hitting eight inch plates at 200 meters off the bench with red dots accurate. So to me, that's very accurate. Um, you're going to want a longer barrel because you're not going to get the velocity at 7.62 by 39 that you will at your five, five, six. So at least get 14 and a half, maybe even 16 or more, but yep. don't, don't put it on that Omni lower or you're going to end up with a crack lower.
4: hmm yeah, I can don't... throw in a little bit on that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say tag it into what Trevor was saying about the barrel length. Um, seven sixty-two by three nine is optimized for sixteen inches. Um, you don't get a whole lot of loss from going too much shorter, but you don't gain anything by going any longer. Um, that's just a, the ballistics on seven sixty-two by three nine.
2: Yeah, like where you would normally, if you wanted to have a thirty-six yard zero with a five-five-six gun with a fourteen and a half inch barrel, to get the same kind of drops, you would zero at twenty-five with your seven-point-six-two you with thirty-nine.
0: Yep. Yep. I yeah, would. I, uh, I would just chime in that uh, um, you can get an, an aluminum lower for about a hundred bucks. I would go for an aluminum lower before one of the uh, one of the plastic ones, just because. The price is yep. about the same. Um, once you've d- got the gun done, you're going to be around, you know, six hundred bucks to a grand somewhere in there, anyways. So I would, uh, I would start from the start and get the like start with an aluminum lower. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not super has. picky. Like I, I'm not picky on quality for a lot of things, but uh, for AR lowers, it just seems aluminum just seems to make sense. You know, if, if aluminum lowers were like Two fifty or three hundred, then yeah, a fifty dollar plastic one would be a, a much better deal. But the yeah. price is just too close, right? Um, yeah, yeah. When when
2: uh, SFRC is is putting NEA lowers on sale for eighty nine bucks at least yep. like twice a year, yeah, I mean it's no brainer. Uh, I was uh, I had one of these ATIs, and it was going to be for I was going to get one of the Dominion arms, one in twelve twists, eighteen or twenty inch. Uh, uppers, They were like an mm-hmm. A2 style upper with the built-in uh, ha- carry handle. I mm-hmm. wanted 1 in 12, and I wanted 20-inch because I was going to put in my 22 conversion kit and make a dedicated AR, and mm. that's what the Omni-Lower was going to go on. And then I just got over the whole idea and moved on with something else because I saw something shiny or whatever. But that's all I would use the Omni-Lower would be on the 22
4: that's what I've done with mine, more or less. I have a—it's not an Omni, but I have a new Frontier Armory uh, polymer lower, and that's kind of what I've dedicated it to—is just to become a, a fire lower. Yeah, and and, and go just ahead. So I don't stress it.
2: Yeah, go ahead, Colin, and Google uh, AR fifteen plastic lower cracks, and and you'll see what I'm talking about there, where they crack at the back.
3: Mm. All right. I'm going to take the one from Patty. Everybody okay with that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I'm in charge anyway, so I don't really care. Um, hey, guy and gal. As all... <laughs> Maybe I'm glad you I took should. it. No. You're doing a great as job. Always, yeah. Yeah. As always, love the podcast. I was at the recent Ajax town hall meeting in support of the FOC range, and someone was saying they believe it is permitted to discharge a restricted firearm on your own land if the discharge of non-restricted is permitted. I have a hard time accepting this and started looking around online. I don't think I'll be the person to challenge this, but I did find an interesting article on it. Are you guys aware of any cases uh, where this was taken to court? Um, and he provides a link there. So, not uh, it's not allowed. No, it's not. It's, not.
2: No. Uh, it's, uh, it's popular misconception. Well, it's my land. Doesn't matter. Mm-mm. Restricted yeah. means restricted to a gun range. The only time you're allowed to discharge a restricted firearm on your land is when you're in Alberta and the CFO has given you a, a certification to have a gun range on your land. Like we taught at last year, we were on a person's mm-hmm. private property who had, a certified range on their property. Other than that, no, you don't take your restricted, your, your pistols or your ARs into the back 40 on your private land and start shooting them. Yeah. Right. Have to have a certified cops, range.
3: The, yeah, yeah. The cops will come. We've been doing a little bit of uh, research as well because of the fact that people have been asking if they could host a maple seed and yeah. So we've been telling them we, you can host it on your land, but it's only non-restricted. Uh, we recently had a homeowner ask the OPP that was uh, – she's going to be uh, having our hosting an event. And the OPP, yeah, they said, yeah, you can do 22 all you want, but no, no no, restricted. And if somebody does complain, we will come, and because they complained, um, and we'll make sure. So, yeah, no
2: restricted. I know where the- – yeah, see this link, Pulled Law? Mm-hmm. That's uh, Pierre Pulled. He's been saying that you're allowed, to, he, he has some twisted interpretation of the law and he believes you're allowed to discharge restricteds on your own land. And he's a lawyer, so people are listening to him, but he's wrong. So yeah. if you do it and you get arrested charged, hire Pierre to, uh, to uh, defend you would be my advice and best of luck to both of you.
3: All right, so he goes on to say, a big shout-out to Francis, the liberal from uh, Toronto. Two weekends ago, at a pub, she was a huge, and he, capital H-U-G-E, auntie. After a few pints, I convinced her to come out to the range with me and see, if it, see what it was all about. She and the husband will now be getting their pals as soon as they find a, a CFSC, or CF." SE in the area. And so he also included a couple of uh, uh, videos of her reaction of firing the gun the first time and then also one of the great reactions as well.
2: I take but, it she didn't claim PTSD like that reporter guy. No, <laughs> she
3: didn't. So she went from being an auntie to somebody who's now going to go get her pal. So that's awesome. That is um, cool. Yeah. So he also goes on to say to Trevor, the hunting gear guy and Kelly, a platinum bullet for each and to McClatchy and atrial uh, printed adult inspired four grips with Luke. <laughs> <laughs> nice. okay, Excellent. Make sure you include those in the bottom there.
0: Adrian. Got them. Okay. Thank you, Patty.
3: Cheers, Patty. That's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I guess I got uh, Frank here.
3: Yeah, we're going. Yeah, we're going in order.
0: Awesome. From Frank. Hey people, I am in the process of buying my first restricted firearm of the new year, bought three, I think it was last year, and just got a letter from the CFO asking for proof of club membership or that I take part in one of the shooting sports. I am in New Brunswick and I'm wondering if this is normal or something new. Thanks, forever yours, Frank. All right, well, since I'm in New Brunswick,
2: uh, Mm -hmm. this is not new. This has been around a long time. Depending on your club, Frank, our club automatically notifies the CFO every time somebody either joins the club or renews with the club so that the CFO keeps track of who is in what club and has a restricted license so that the ATT is automatically attached as a condition of their license. Um, if you are not, then they will ask you, yes, um, are you taking part in shooting sports there are some cases where they say you absolutely must join a gun club if you want to have restricted. Otherwise, they want you to change the status of your license to a collector's license. This happened to a buddy of mine once. He's like, well, I shoot IPSC. So they were like, all right, we'll send us some scorecards or proof that you shot IPSC matches last year. Oh, interesting. Mm. And then we'll approve your uh, your transfer. But then they may not want to give you an ATT until you join a club. So, uh, But anyway, it's not new, Frank. Um well, if you're a member of a gun club, ask them to notify the CFO that you're a current member so that they will uh, approve the uh, transfer and give you your ATT as an attachment to your license, as a condition of your license, rather. You all know that piece of paper that comes with your license that says you need to keep this license or mm-hmm. this piece of paper with your license and almost nobody pays attention to it and throws it away?
3: You mean well, the one that's in my, my wallet? And sure. the
2: one that Yeah, and the one that's in my wallet as well. <laughs> And the reason why it's in my wallet for the first time, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say, you know, the law said I was supposed to have it in there, but I never once paid attention to what it was or read it. Um, now, that piece of paper lists mm-hmm. the conditions attached to your license. So, yeah, you're supposed to be able to provide it on demand. Um, so, we traded one piece of paper for another. We don't have the ATT. We now have a slip of paper that says, this person's ATT is attached to the license. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Anyway. So, um, yeah. Hope that uh, hope that helps, Frank. Get in touch with your club um, and let them know that you know you've got restricted.
3: alright Okay. So those were a lot of emails, and we love getting them. So why don't you send us more emails at slamfireradio at gmail.com and we'll read them. And iTunes, Stacy, check for us. We don't have any. Sorry. None to read. Um, But yeah, send us some of those too because five star ratings, we like those. Uh, 146 so far, and of that, it's 113 from Canada. Canada's winning. Yay. Uh, 30 from the US, one from Australia, one from the UK, one from Lithuania, and one from Belleville.
2: (laughs) Belleville? (laughs) Lithuania and Belgium.
3: Belgium. Well, probably somebody from Belleville. Chances are 113,
2: one one of them came from Belleville, yes.
3: Probably. Have you met the people from Belleville? Anyways, yes. Um, So send us one. And now we're going to get an email from Belleville. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) By the way, I'm going out to the... Never mind. Uh, Shoutouts, you have a ton here, Trevor. So why don't
2: you... you... To, To Paul and his father, Claude, for the M1 stuff. Mike for the M1 stuff, filthy for the M1 stuff. But this last one, my final show is to Filthy and Ella. They actually bought me an electronic on-air sign for the podcasting studio here. This thing is so cool.
1: Uh, It's blue. It
2: lights up. It says on-air. It's a great way to keep the wife out of here. Right now, I've got like a go-away sign that says, you know, if if it's on on on-air, you don't come in. Right. So it's hanging up over the door. I should get a picture and post on the Facebook page, like. I don't like touching people. I'm not a I'm not a touching kind of guy. I don't hug. I hugged Ella like I was so excited when I got this sign. They put batteries in it for me, and it's hanging up over the door. I'm thinking I'm actually going to run a wire and a switch up to the man cave. So when we uh, when we start recording the show over, we can just flick on the switch that says on air. Cause, oh, cool. Yeah, when we do our next live
0: show, I'm definitely going to have it hanging over the wall there, all lit up. Yeah. I gotta get one of those that like disables the microwave downstairs so my kids can't like microf- microwave things and like mess up with my Wi Fi. <laughs> nice. Or you could just hit the breaker for the kitchen
2: before you record. Yeah. 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 Mm. That, that would probably result in many knocks on the door. So, mm. so yeah. yeah. So the, those are those are my shout outs. We've got some new patrons, don't we, Kelly?
3: We do, but I just wanted to know if anybody else has any other shout outs. Thanks for taking over, Trevor.
2: I do. <laughs> Well, you know, the show notes are there for a reason. They could have put them in, and then I wouldn't have jumped over like that. But,
3: hey, we can know. all be a bit like Matthew who doesn't put anything in.
2: And then that's how you get skipped over.
3: <laughs> Sorry, that's Ken. let have anarchy. No more done. notes
4: ever again. Anarchy from now on.
3: <laughs> I can't.
4: I want to thank Stacy for her help this week with Microsoft Excel. <laughs> she helped me. Yeah, I, I had an assignment where I had to do something in Excel, and yeah, uh, I was just driving me crazy. So she's I, a uh,
3: she's a wizard with stuff like that, and yeah. also Photoshop. Speaking of Photoshop, you have to still get that calendar out.
0: Awesome! Oh, I got one. <laughs> uh, I got a shout out to uh, Kelly. This has been actually a while that, it, that it's been here. I just it keeps uh, slipping my mind. But you sent over some really cool stickers and. Uh, and some candy that uh, uh-huh. my ki- that my kids have like look at every time they come into me my room. In <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah.
3: Been
0: pretty weirded that, out by that it. stuff
3: from Texas, right? <laughs> I it's love the, it. Uh, it's the tequila. It's tequila um, suckers with uh, with the scorpions, scorpions in them. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, please don't tell me they've eaten that. No. Anyways, well, you're welcome. Glad that it came there.
2: I ate mine. It's Did you? Right. Was yeah. it good? No. <laughs> 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 no, that's definitely a souvenir.
3: Oh, well, I, thought, I thought next you, you it. would actually eat it.
4: Oh, Adril. hell no. no.
2: Yeah, Adriel. Adriel's the one that's eaten everything. <laughs> yeah, i got to get my kids well, that's too.
3: that's true, too. You, live, you lived <laughs> in China. Oh yeah. Okay. Never mind. And okay, we do have some new Patreon supporters. We got uh, so I yeah. He's a new Patreon supporter, Alan S and Patty. I'm thinking that's the same Patty that sent us the email. So thank you, Patty and Ryan B. They're all, they, new
2: all they all contributed in a caliber. Yes, yep. They did. I love
3: it. Yes, um, but. They have some new stuff coming up. We have some new uh, patreon stuff that's going to be coming out soon, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you, Trevor, you have some stuff that you're going to be announcing on the Patreon podcast as well?
2: Well, there's a couple of projects on the go that I will be only discussing on the uh, Patreon bonus episodes. So hopefully I'll have an update on... Well, I definitely have an update on one of them and we'll be teasing about an upcoming guest that we'll be having on the show who will be doing a special announcement on the show. Okay. And um, the other project, there's been, I looked for an update on that one today, and there's been no news there. But by the time the new Patreon bonus episode comes out, maybe there'll be an announcement about that one as well, because that's the one that I'm really excited about. They're both kind of cool, but one of them is really cool.
3: One was in a sock today, wasn't it?
0: No. That was Trevor's was uh Photoshop skills there. <laughs> it looked like a sock. <laughs> sock. He, he no. just blacked it out. <laughs> Sorry.
3: Didn't mean to blow it yours. Uh, okay. So um yeah. So Mike and Alan and Patty and Ryan, make sure that we have your email address and also your regular address so so that we can send you the Patreon stuff. And then also less than honest, I don't know, did he ever send us his email address and and that too? Mm. Oh,
0: I've got a spreadsheet. I'll uh, I'll go update it. I'm gonna send okay. I'm gonna do these send outs uh, once a month, so they're Perfect. kinda gonna go out in batches.
3: Okay. And uh, that's about it. So let's close the show out because it's getting long and awkward as always. So uh, please join one or more of our national firearms associations, such as the CCFR or the CSSA. Uh, There's some out there. Just go and join them because really they're supporting us, and we really need to support them as well. Uh, Get out and get some shooting done. Go and do some it sick, and you can even do the three gun with the you know the the belt around your boobs (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) it's the long show um yeah so and just go out and get some shooting done or like patty did take somebody who is anti-gun and take them out and you'll find that uh, they're no longer anti-gun as well they'll come to our side of the you know Things. Uh, check us out on the Gun Owners of Canada. We have a thread there. We try and post each episode, but we also like to chat with you too. And also out on Facebook, we're at 1,634 likes. We have five gold stars. Uh, we have a signed 858 petition, four thumbs up, uh, two Harambe thumbs, one Mogan David, and uh, two Sig P two two six handguns three platinum bullets and an adult inspired foregrip excellent you forgot the lube um and on that note let's say goodnight, night you guys <laughs> stay
2: classy <laughs> good night say good night ken good night
3: thanks ken good night everybody